All right, well, it is a great privilege to stand behind this sacred desk and to expound the Word of God before you today. It is a great privilege to do so openly and freely, to not be constrained in any way by outside forces that might come and say what to say and what not to say. It is a great privilege to, with you together, lift up the name of Jesus, right, that our very presence here would be a testimony and a faithful expression of the goodness and worthiness of God. As people drive by every Sunday and say, why is that parking lot full? It's because our God is good. Amen? It's a a blessing to be here to celebrate God's kindness that in His wise providence He has given us such a long period of blessing to be able to gather uh, in this way. But as we spoke about last week, I want to continue the message from last week and seek to prepare our hearts in some way and our minds for the potential that these freedoms may very well be slipping away from us. I said last week that the title of this message is Preparing for Persecution, and that is the, the title today. Um, let, me, let me just define really quick, when I'm talking about persecution... I do not mean that next week or so that we're going to be out here with our heads on blocks in front of the church, you know, saying renounce Christ or go see him. That's not probably coming tomorrow. But if we continue to preach a biblical ethic, to preach biblical morality, biblical gender roles, as we continue to preach a biblical doctrine of salvation, right, that Jesus Christ is the only hope for lost souls, a biblical doctrine of man, that all human beings are radically depraved and in need, desperate need of the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. We may very well have fines levied against us, property seized. You, know, you may be canceled and lose your job as forces are brought against you that, that, a, that a company would hire such a person as you that would still believe these, these antiquated beliefs. We might be painted as the hater church that just hates you know, oppressed people, and on and on it may go. Now, some have said the church is just really overreacting right now, right? Especially with the virus and lockdowns, that why would we be talking about persecution? Because these lockdowns are not specifically geared towards the church, right? It's for everyone. So how can that be persecution? Well, I agree that lockdowns are not specifically aimed at churches, but I will say this. That the sovereign Lord of creation of this universe, the one that made all things, that demands allegiance from his people, he has not commanded that bars, restaurants, and gyms be opening, be open for the assembly of people. He has not commanded that people be able to gather at Elks Lodges, movie theaters, or bowling alleys, but he has commanded one assembly. He has commanded that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ gather in his name on the day that he has prescribed to worship and give him praise. And I believe that that command of Scripture is violated when for a year churches are told to either close or limit to a very small number in the name of love of neighbor. So again, the title is Preparing for Persecution. Now, this is going to be a very unique sermon for me. I don't think I've ever preached a sermon like this. Um, It's basically the overflow of last week's message, and basically, so today is going to be the application that was not included in last week's message, so a different type of sermon. Uh, The subtitle is 12 Things to Settle in Your Heart to Prepare to Suffer for Jesus. And before you freak out and say, three points last week, one hour, 12 points today, (laughs) how long are we going to be here? Um, Different type of sermon, all right? 12 things to settle in your hearts to prepare to suffer for Jesus. Let me read the text that we are in. Uh, We will be in this text and many others. This is, Lord willing, going to be kind of a scripture bomb today. There's going to be a lot of Bible read today, so uh, be ready for that. But John 15 is the text we are in, 1518. Jesus says there, If the world hates you... Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. 
If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Father in heaven, we do come to you now to open up your word. And we thank you for the privilege to hold the word of God in our hands, to openly today preach and proclaim the sufficiency of the scriptures. So we ask and pray that you might bless this time. I pray that you would fill me with your spirit, that Brett would, de- would decrease and that you would increase. Lord, be with us today. Encourage our hearts. Convince us of the truth. Convict us where we need it. And send us out into this world solid in Christ. And I pray that in Jesus' name. So 12 things to settle in our hearts. Firstly, number one, know that you walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Know that as you prepare for hard times and as you experience hard times, know that you simply walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Look at verse 18 again. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. You. Now, Jesus in Matthew 16 speaks of what it means to be a disciple, what it looks like to follow Jesus, how that goes. And he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, Imagine at that point what the disciples have in their mind when they hear him say, take up your cross. What that meant was when you saw a man walking up that hill with that burden on his back, he was carrying the very tool that was going to put him to death in a few moments. That is the visual that they would have had in their mind as he says, a disciple is one that takes up his cross. The life of a follower of Christ is one of self-denial. Right? To take up a cross was to march to one's death. But as we look at the Bible, this simply is the life of a disciple. We ought to settle this in our minds now. That as we walk into difficult times, all we are really doing is walking in the footsteps of our Lord. Experiencing the same things that He experienced. A life lived biblically for Jesus is a life of, of surrender. It's a life of self-denial, just following the lead of Christ. We are basically today, as it were, just grabbing hold of that apostolic baton. Jesus begun this race, if you will. The apostles continued on in this marathon, and we are just walking lockstep with those that have come before us. Remember Peter last week we read in, uh, I believe it's 1 Peter, where he said, Do not be surprised at the fiery trials, as if something strange was happening, as if, as if this was, was unique to you. But glorify God that you've been considered worthy to suffer. So know that, number one, settle in your hearts today that we are simply walking in the footsteps of our Lord. Number two, know that you are a sojourner that is passing through. You are a sojourner that is passing through. Verse 19 of John 15, he says, you, if, if you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore, the world hates you. 
We are, the Bible likes to talk about Christians in this life being as those that are in exile. That our citizenship, as Paul would say, is now in heaven. Right? So you have a passport stamped, and your destination is heaven. Your driver's license, if you pull it out, if you haven't looked at it for a while, it says heaven, not Oregon. Right? Because that's where our citizenship is. We're not of this place anymore. Right? We're simply exiles, pilgrims that are passing through. And this is nothing new. You know that great text in Hebrews chapter 11, the Faith Hall of Fame, that commends all of these saints of old, not because they were so great, not because they did mighty works, but because they had faith in a great God. And Hebrews 11.9 speaks of Abraham, and it says, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. His hope was not in a physical plot of land in Cana. The nation of Israel has played a very significant role in redemptive history, but its role was temporary. It is not the hope. The hope is not that we get to go back to Jerusalem. The hope is the heavenly Jerusalem, the new heavens and new earth. Amen? And Abraham was looking forward to a city whose foundation and designer and builder was God. Verse 13, it says that these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Abram could get up in faith and leave Ur of the Chaldees and go to a place that God had not even told him where he was going because his hope was not in that earthly kingdom. We have to settle in our hearts today that this world is not our own. What that means, beloved, is that our allegiance is to a greater king than any earthly king that we might be called to submit to in this place. We are simply passing through. So we don't want to lay our roots too deep into this world. We need to live as witnesses, right? We need to shine as light in this world, but recognizing all the while that we are members of a far greater kingdom. Number three, know that the approval of the world is an idol that needs to be destroyed. The approval of this world is an idol that needs to be destroyed. Jesus, again, in verse 19, said, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I believe that too many Christians, too many professing Christians, have fallen into this trap to to try to appease and make friends with a world that Jesus says will hate you. And too many times it has led to their apostasy to their turning from the faith as we try to tweak and twist the Word of God a bit here and there to be more palatable to a world so the world will accept our message. I I mentioned last week a man, I didn't say his name, no. I don't even want to say his name, but uh, he publicly denied. Let Let me ask you if this sounds biblical to you, that Jesus Christ on that cross, that he stood there, he was pinned there as a substitute for sinners. And it was on that, tr- that cross that your guilt and your sin was placed upon Jesus by his father. And the father's wrath was poured out on the son as a suitable sacrifice so that you today are forgiven and free. Does that sound like the biblical gospel? Yes. Amen. But one man is publicly called that divine child abuse, as I mentioned last week that a loving God could not possibly treat his own son like that because he's trying to make the message more palatable for the world. Too many Christians today capitulating to this sexual revolution with using pronouns and supposed gender identities, seeking friendship with the world 
But listen to what Jesus has to say about how we will be treated and how our interactions might be. Luke 6, he says, Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and spurn your name as evil. Now don't miss the qualifier on account of the Son of Man. You're not blessed when they spurn you as evil because you're a jerk, right? I always want to qualify that because we can be sinful Christians, amen? We can be jerks to people and treat them poorly and say, I glorified God because I crushed that atheist. No, but blessed are you when people hate you, exclude you, revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man as you stand for Him, His truth, and for His righteousness. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. So last week we read what follows. Because what follows is woe to you when all men speak well of you. Woe to you when it is your desire to be appeased and friends with this world. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. Right? Those that said peace, peace when there was no peace. But he says rejoice when you are hated by men because this is what their fathers did to the prophets. Those that were truly sent of God and had a word from the living God. Really, beloved, this is the expectation. That the world will oppose what we do. And if the world comes against you and all men call you evil, praise be to God because you may very well be knocking at the gates of hell doing damage to the kingdom of Satan. The approval of men is... The approval of men that are in rebellion against God is an idol that needs to be done away with. We live to please Christ and Christ alone. Number four, know that, settle in your hearts today, know that difficult times for righteousness' sake are a promise from Christ to his followers. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Very, fairly straightforward, fairly easy there to understand. We ought to settle in our minds now that if we are faithful to Jesus, He promises there will be trials. He promises we will go through difficult times. Peter writes about this in 1 Peter 2. He says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? If you act like a fool and you get the rod, you got it coming, right? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Listen to this. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. <laughs> Difficult times for righteousness are a promise from the Lord. Beloved, settle this in your hearts now. Peter says plainly, you have been called to this. This is part of our calling as we walk in lockstep with the Lord Jesus Christ. But when you do good, and when you suffer for it, and when you endure, it is a gracious thing in the sight of God. God is pleased when we endure for righteousness' sake. Number five, Know that God is their enemy and not you. Now, I spent time on this last week, so I'll be very brief here. But God is their enemy and not you. When all men turn on you, know that they're turning on Him, ultimately, not on us. Verse 21, But all these things they will do to you on account of My name. And why is that? Because they do not know God. They do not know Him who sent Me. So that person... That comes up against you because you talked about Jesus or you shared the gospel or you had the audacity to use the S word, sin. 
and they get angry with you, revile you, they, they're offended by you, know that that person is in rebellion against God, their soul is enslaved to sin, and God is really the one that they don't want to deal with. But they're simply taking it out on you because here you are speaking of this God that they are rebelling against. We ought to settle that in our hearts because it's difficult when people don't like us. It's difficult when people are angry and offended. Number six, know that you have been called to be faithful in whatever situation you have been planted Know, beloved, that you have been called to be faithful wherever God has you. That's faithful in the highs and faithful in the lows. Faithful in the years of plenty and faithful in the lean years. Faithful when tragedy strikes, faithful when cancer returns, and faithful when it's all easy and green and good. Verse 27, he says, You also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. He speaks to them, but we are also, of course, called to be his witnesses in this world, wherever it is that he places us. Philippians chapter 2 comes to mind where Paul says there, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish Where? When it's all easy and good and everything's chill and cozy? No, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Now, interestingly, I guess this is just how the world is, but Paul can write that in Rome in 55 AD, somewhere in there. But we read those words and say, wow, he's talking about America 2021. Right? Because the world is evil. The world opposes God. And the call then is to do all things without grumbling, that we not be griping and complaining constantly about the state of things. And I'm just going to confess to you, it's difficult right now. Every day I open the news and read something new and say, wow, that's evil. Wow, this is wicked. What is going on in this world? But he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Trust God's providence wherever he might have you, that you may be blameless and innocent in the midst, within the context of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Holding fast to the word of life. That means faithfully trusting Christ, serving Christ, no matter what hostility, no matter what difficulties come our way. He says we do this in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, and we are to shine as lights. You know, the light is not always something when it beams at us that is appreciated in that moment. My daughter Haley just walked out, and um, she helps us a lot with the kids as she is right now. Sometimes in the morning when I'm leaving, I got to wake her up, you know, and I've learned that if I just say wake up and I don't do anything else, she just rolls over sometimes and goes back to bed. Uh, So I do the thing that she always gets mad about. I flip on the light, right? And she says, dad, and she takes the blanket over her head because that light after you've been asleep is a bit shocking, right? You're resting and your eyes are not prepared for the light and then the light beams into the room and it's kind of blinding for a moment and it's a shock to the senses. And so it is, Christian, as you shine as a light in this world. It is a shock to some. How could you think like that? How could you say something like that? The light is not always welcomed, but it exposes the deeds of darkness. It shines into those nooks and crannies of our soul and exposes the things that are not of God. And he says, you do this as you hold fast to the word of life. Beloved, hold fast to that word because you know, and I know, we know that it is the only word that gives life to men that are dead in their trespasses and sins. The word of God is the very words of life. And we serve Christ faithfully in the midst of a crooked generation. Wherever he plants us, we do so as lights holding fast to that word. 
He might be pleased, beloved, to give you 20 years of ease and comfort where you never face adversity. Or he might be pleased to give you 20 straight years of turmoil and strife. But settle in your heart today that you've been called to be faithful to Jesus in whatever situation his providence brings your way. Number seven, and I think this is important. Number seven, know that persecution for Christ never looks noble from the outside. Persecution for Jesus never looks noble from the outside. I read to you from Matthew chapter 10. Jesus says, brother will deliver brother over to death and the father, his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. I want to quote to you, paraphrase, really, um, some comments that that Paul Washer made. You may know Paul Washer. He's a preacher. And there was a video posted. I'm not sure when he said these words, but the video is 12 years old. But it's striking to me how clearly he speaks to what is unfolding before our eyes. But what he says is, do not think that you're going to be persecuted for being a faithful, obedient child of God. Do not think that you're going to be looked at as a hero who took a bold stand for orthodoxy. He says you will be persecuted, you will be painted as a radical fundamentalist who does not know the true way of Jesus. You're just an extremist who doesn't understand the love of Jesus. You will go down as the greatest bigot and hater of mankind in history. He says we need to settle in our minds that our persecution will not be seen as noble. We have this image in our mind that the martyrs throughout the Christian the history of the church, were seen as these noble men who took a valiant stand. Now they were. They were standing for biblical truth, but that is not what the world saw. Right? The world sees them persecuted as enemies of the state, those that have committed treason against the state. The early church, uh, the church was painted as cannibals because they would get together and eat the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. The church was said to be incestuous because husbands would call their wives sister, right? They were painted as immoral, deviant people. You will not be painted as a hero. You will be seen as a bigoted, narrow-minded, stupid person who has fallen for a ruse and cannot contribute nothing to society. Your suffering will not be noble. So he says your mind then must be filled with the word of God. So that when all men turn against you, you will be anchored in the truth. Because what is the temptation when people turn on us? What is the temptation when you try to share your faith with some nice person and they flip out, curse you out, call you a fool? The temptation is to say, am I wrong? Am I I off somehow? Is the Bible really taking a stand on these issues? I mean, everyone's doing it today. Everyone says it's good. And this man is, he's living this lifestyle, but he's a nice guy. I mean, how could it be wrong? It's two people loving each other. How could that possibly be wrong? And if we are not anchored in the Word of God, standing concretely, knowing why we believe what we believe, then the temptation is to question, is this really important? Should I really take a stand here? As Matthew just said, or Jesus said in Matthew, a time will come when children will see their parents as a danger to society because of their faith and hand them over to the authorities. Think about today, we spoke last week of Pastor James Coates, who in Canada is standing for his conviction that God has called him to shepherd his church to preach the word, to tend the flock. And that means to meet on the Lord's Day and to proclaim the word of God from the pulpit unhindered by men. The world doesn't see him as taking a bold stand. Churches like us that are saying we have to gather, we have to gather. We're not seen as as really devout believers. We're seen as people that are denying science, that don't care about how many people we might kill with this virus, We just want to have our little social gathering and make sure that the tithe 
money keeps rolling in. Your suffering will not be noble. It will be for Christ, and the church will know why you stand, but do not expect to be seen as a hero when the world turns. Number eight, settle in your heart today, beloved, that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Think of the text with Paul, right? And he's pleading with the Lord, and he says, listen, Jesus, this thorn, it needs to go. It's a hindrance. Don't you see how it's harming my ministry? Don't you see how I could be so much more successful and helpful if you took away this pain, this suffering, whatever it was? This thing is an impediment to me, Lord. Remove it, and then I will be more fruitful. Take away my pain. Take away this thorn, and then everything will go better. What does Jesus say to Paul in that moment? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect, not in your strength, but in your weakness. And I love Paul. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If you've been walking for the, with the Lord for a season, then you know this, beloved, that you will often experience the greatest blessing. You will often experience the greatest sense of His presence, the greatest comfort from the Spirit when you are at that lowest of lows in the dark place of the soul. When you get to that place where you can finally see that all, of you, all that you have is Jesus, He will sustain he will sustain. My mind goes to 1 Corinthians 10.13. And I have to admit, um, as, as a guy like me that's come out of an addiction background and went through an addiction Christian ministry, this is a verse that we, in those circles, is always one of the main memory verses. And I've always just kind of read it out of context. <laughs> you know, I've just kind of taken that verse, but it's actually more powerful now that this last week, as we're reading through 1 Corinthians in our Bible plan, uh, the context is idolatry. He's warning against idolatry, right? Think about the children of Israel in the wilderness. They saw God's mighty hand against Pharaoh, right? They saw the mighty works that he did. They saw the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. I mean, they were in the presence of God. And Moses has gone for three days, and they're like, well, where's this God at? Make us a calf or something. Let's... Let's worship something else. This God's gone. All that he's done, we haven't seen him for a few days. And they turn to idolatry. And he's warning that we not go down that path. And he says, therefore, in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. That means that none of us, ex our experience is not unique. It may look different for every person, what we go through, but we all experience the suffering of life in a fallen world. But God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I don't believe what He's saying is God is not going to give you what you are unable to endure. What He's saying is that Jesus Christ is enough in that moment, at any time that He will sustain. He is that way of escape. He will enable us to endure. Because He says in verse 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from a desire that when it gets difficult to turn to anything but Christ. As Paul says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. So no, beloved, settle in your heart that Jesus Christ is enough. When trials and tribulations come, He will meet you in your suffering. He will sustain you when all men turn against you. Number nine, know that earthly treasures will perish. Earthly treasures will all perish. Matthew 16, 26, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? I think one of the 
greatest difficulties we have in this crazy technological age is we spend so much time on such trivial things that have no eternal relevance whatsoever. And we are preconditioned by the world that we live in as our flesh is being appealed to constantly to strive for earthly treasures. Now, I keep seeing these ads. I'm not sure why, right? Because my phone is listening to me talk, but I keep seeing these ads of these different streaming services. I'm not here to condemn you. If you have a TV, you've been in my house, most of you, we have a TV. Um, But these streaming services and their big advertisement today, their big appeal is we're going to help you binge better. Now, if you're not not, uh, familiar with these sort of things, what that means is that they're going to, they're going to, put away any stumbling block to you so that you can be able to sit there for 14 hours straight watching Friends reruns. No commercials, no pause in the middle, right? We want to help you binge better. And the idea is that we're just being drawn into trivial, irrelevant things that have no eternal bearing. And we need to know that all earthly treasures, all of the things that we love, that we grasp onto, They will perish. That means wealth, homes, cars, popularity, power, fame, notoriety, likes, followers, views, retweets. It will all perish. Right? All of that stuff. May God help us that this truth would reconfigure our minds to what truly matters. I think of the uh, first letter to Timothy as Paul writes to this young pastor. Listen to these words. 1 Timothy 6, 9. He says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. And I think we could add there, desire power. You know, you could change that, that word. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have, listen to this, wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We may, in obedience to Jesus, in coming months, years, what have you, have to relinquish earthly treasures. Beloved, we need to settle in our hearts today that if I have nothing but I have Christ, I have everything. To live is Christ, amen, and to die is gain. Number 10, know that God means evil for good. God means evil for good. Um, loving this reading plan because it's just so relevant all the time. But Genesis chapter 50, we just read in the last week or so. And you know the story there. Uh, Joseph is before his brothers. Now, they were concerned that, oh man, when he, when he kind of took the mask off, right, and told them, it's me, it's Joseph. It wasn't this happy family reunion, was it? Because they had left this kid for dead, basically. They had sold him into slavery, Right? And Joseph kind of peels the mask back and he tells them, and they're safe for a minute, but then dad dies. And they're thinking, the only reason he's kept us alive, he didn't want to discourage old dad, but now dad is gone, he's going to take us out. He's certainly going to wipe us out. He's in power. He's the number two man in Egypt. Look at all this authority he has. And what does Joseph say? Excellent verse to commit to memory, 50-20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. I don't read that text just to say, you did something evil and God came after that and he kind of tried to figure out how he could rework it. No, God meant the evil that Joseph endured for good. And how so? It says to bring it about that many people should be kept alive today. And I want you to consider the providence of God in the life of Joseph. Joseph, it says, when he rose to power with Pharaoh, was 30 years old. 
we read in the story where he's sold into slavery that he was not with his brothers out in the field. And I believe that that means he was too young to be working with them. Maybe he's 10, 12, 14, who knows? Somewhere in there, right? He's, he's the younger brother. So he's sold into slavery and he's living and accused and all the stuff that happens to Joseph. For about 15 years, Joseph's life is pretty poor, right? And he's a good man who's trusting the Lord and the Lord blesses him where he's at. And then he gets accused of rape and he's thrown into jail. Right? Think of all that Joseph went through. But think of what comes simply from this young man being sold into slavery. You have untold millions of people's lives that were saved because he constructs this big plan to feed all these people through the famine. But I think far more important than that is that Jacob's sons, namely Judah, would have probably perished in the famine. Thus, the line of the Messiah would have been done away with. And God could have just said, no famine. Could he not? But God chooses, right, that there would be a famine, that Joseph would go to Egypt, that he would be raised up, that his brothers would come to eat there, that they would then live in Egypt, stay there for 400 years, that then God would raise up Moses... And have this mass exodus of his people that would foreshadow a greater exodus with a greater Moses. Think of all that happened in redemptive history because, because Joseph was sold into slavery. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. We see the hand of God's providence in situations that look destitute. I love the question 27 and 28 of Hercules Collins' Orthodox Catechism. I've read it before, uh, but it's so pastorally just warming to my heart. It's, it asks the question, what do you understand by the providence of God? What is this providence thing? What does it mean? Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which he upholds, as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures. That's everything. And so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty. I'm going to throw in there religious freedom, religious persecution. All things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. And how does that knowledge help us? How does that knowledge of providence help us? We can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and for the future, we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing will separate us from His love. All creatures are so completely in His hand that without His will, they can neither move or be moved. Romans 8.28 is a verse that comes to mind. I'm sure you know it. It's a verse that we love. Right? That God works all things for good. For those that love Him and those that are called according to His purpose. Right? He is working in your life everything for good. The question we might ask that we need to understand is what, is, what is what is good from God's perspective? Is it that the bank account is full? That the cabinets are always full of food? That I never have to lift a finger against any adversity? No, He tells us. Romans 8.29 For those whom He foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. God's purpose of good, beloved, is your conformity to the image of Jesus. So settle in your hearts today that God means evil for good. And those trying, fiery trials that He might ask you to walk through are forging you more and more into the image of His Son. Number 11, know that the battle belongs to the Lord. Amen. The battle belongs to the Lord. John 16, 4, Jesus said, I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, those that will hate you, you may remember that I told them to you. He says their time is going to eventually come. And you're going to remember these words. There will be a day when God will settle all accounts. There will not be one single sin left unpunished. Every sin that has ever been committed 
is either dealt with on the cross of Christ or upon those souls in eternal judgment. There will be not one single cosmic criminal that goes free. God will return in full glory and He will be the victor. We read this verse last Wednesday night in our home, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, speaking of Jesus, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I think we could all see plainly that that has not yet happened. That is not happening at this moment, but it will certainly and surely one day be the case that every single knee will hit the floor to the Lordship of Christ. It will be for some to their eternal joy, and it will be to others to their eternal condemnation. There was a time when Erica and I and my family were going to move up here to Oregon, and we were in California, and it was an interesting move of providence where... We kind of felt the Lord's leading, and we're kind of crazy people. In two weeks, we were out. It was a two-week thing. We're going to Oregon. Two weeks later, we're in Oregon. And uh, in God's providence, my pastor was in Paris. (laughs) His dad had invited his whole family to Paris, and this was the first church I ever served in, first place I ever taught the Word. He's pouring into our lives, and we up and split. And... Also, in God's providence, the last Sunday in that church, his brother-in-law preached because he was in Paris, and these verse will never leave our minds. Psalm 27, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Beloved, there will be weapons brought against you, carnal weapons from carnal men. Slanderous words, legal action, social pressure, the cancel culture may come after you. Loss of employment, division of families, there may very well someday be violence. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God, and our weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are not carnal. The horse is made ready for the battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. We know the end of the book. We know the end of the story. There may be many... Battles, little battles won and lost, but the war is Christ. The war is Christ. I think of those great words from Martin Luther in the song, The Mighty Fortress is Our God. He says, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Settle in your hearts today, beloved, that whatever may come, the battle is His. Lastly, number 12. As you suffer for Jesus, as you face opposition for Jesus, as insults are hurled at you, as possessions are taken from you as divisions are brought in your family know that in so doing you will testify to the goodness sufficiency and worthiness of christ the world will not appreciate your stand but the church hear this the church needs faithful witnesses that take hard stands and are willing to face whatever comes their way Listen to the words of Peter. He says, If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Do not be ashamed if you suffer as a Christian, but glorify God. Jesus' words again, Blessed are you when all people hate you, exclude you, revile you, and spurn you as evil. Rejoice and leap for joy in that day, because your reward in heaven is is great. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened. And God has, is pleased when His saints stand in faith. Again, I think of this dear brother in Canada, Pastor Coates. His testimony is a glorious witness to the church that God is worthy. Right, His wife and His family, as they stand in support of their 
husband, this man, as he is given the opportunity, you can be released today and all of this can go away. You just can't go back to your church for a while. You just can't go back to your pulpit for a while. You can't feed the flock that God has appointed you to, to feed. His life, his stand today is a witness that true hope comes through Christ in Christ alone. That true joy comes through glad service to King Jesus, forsaking our own lives and giving all to him. So, beloved, settle in your hearts today that Jesus Christ is enough, that he will sustain you through any and every trial, that he has promised you fiery trials. Do not be surprised. They will come as you walk lockstep with the Lord Jesus Christ. But we stand as victors. We stand as victors. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. And by your endurance, you will gain your lives. Our Lord may very well be preparing us for hard times. We may as a church, as families, and as individuals have to make hard choices that will cost us. The question, beloved, is this. Is he worth it? Is he worth it? Is he worthy of giving our lives, of giving our freedoms, of giving our comforts? Or on that day when he calls us to stand, will we cling to the things of this world? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the confidence that we can have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the many blessings and comforts that we do have in Jesus. As we just sang, it is well with my soul. The world cannot understand the depth of that song, the reality of what it means to have soul wellness. So we thank you that you have lavished grace upon your church. God, may we repay you as if we could. We cannot repay you. But may our response, our grateful response, be joyful, growing obedience to Christ. May we be willing to stand when no others are willing to stand. May we believe the word, be convinced by the word, stand with full conviction in the word of God. Give us the strength on that day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.